right, everybody. So today we are back with Abel Chabai. Did I get that? Ooh, that was that. that was that was the best so far. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Awesome. With uh, another Q and A. So people, you guys often send in questions on Instagram or in the comments below. We try to get to most of them. So we're gonna dive right into it. All right. So first one by Kristen Rigby. Hi, Dr. McCone. I was wondering if you can give me some advice. Huge fan of your channel on YouTube. Thanks so much. I'm wondering how much I would need to eat to gain muscle without gaining a lot of fat. 5'3", 109 pounds, and was 13% body fat when I had it checked in November. I ate a high-protein keto diet, averaging 1,500 calories a day. Resting metabolism was 1,100 when tested in October. I feel full and satisfied with 1,500, but I'm looking a bit too thin. Please advise. All right, so... Uh, I will dive into it first and then we'll get your thoughts, Abel. So this is kind of more, I'll just take it generally, right? I mean, I'll try to answer specifically too, but for the first part, I would say is the 1100 calories as your resting metabolism. I, I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. I, I mean, it's cool to know I've had that tested as well, where you just kind of lie there. You're not supposed to move pretty much at all. And it's fairly accurate, but the problem is it doesn't really affect what you're like. It's not going to change the decision that you make ultimately, right? Because whatever that is, you still have all of your activity and everything that's going to fluctuate daily and how you and your, your body responds to that activity is going to be hugely variable. So, I mean, it's a cool thing to know, but it, it doesn't really, it wouldn't factor into any calculations that I would have. I would just say, if you're at 1500 calories, you're feeling thin and you're not gaining weight. The simplest thing is just incrementally go up. So assuming you're already eating enough protein, then if you're on a keto diet, I would just slowly increase the fat by about 50 to hundred calories per day and see if you gain any weight. If not, I'd give that about, you know, somewhere between four to seven days. If you haven't budged at all, go up another 50 to hundred calories. I'm saying 50 to hundred because you're, you know, a smaller female eating only 1500. If, you, if this was supplied to somebody, a male eating 3,500 calories, then I'd say, you know what, add one to 200 calories and see. So it's kind of proportional. Uh, see until you start slowly going up. It can take a while for things to start moving, um, but I still, I wouldn't jump into anything like 500 to 1,000 plus calories. And if you're not on a keto diet, I would tend to increase it from carbs uh, once you've already got like a moderate level of fat. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, not that much to add because um, that's a relatively simple question. I think you answered it pretty well. Just um, she was saying something about not how much to eat to not gain much fat or some, something like that yeah, was in there yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, um, I think um, a good guideline for that, I heard it from Menno. I wish it was someone else who said it, but um, with keto diets, once your fat intake starts to e exceed your protein intake, that um uh, in terms of grams that that might be the point where it might be worth thinking about um switching to a non-keto diet which is why for gaining uh for for many people it's not not that comfortable to do it on a keto diet because then you actually need to start like consuming a lot more oils and butters and stuff like that so yeah yeah having done a couple of keto bulks it is usually i mean it, it's not horrible unless you're really pushing the weight up there uh, but it does get tough with all of the oil or peanut butter or whatever um, i would also say that just keep in mind a lot of people do ask similar questions and there's no rate of weight gain that is going to allow you to gain just muscle like it's just not going to happen right you will gain fat unless you're a complete noob either to lifting or to steroids you're going to gain fat the rate will affect it sure 
but you know, generally speaking, I don't bother with less than, I mean, maybe for a smaller woman, a quarter pound to a half a pound per week on average, but you're starting to get into the realm where it's really hard to even tell if you're actually gaining in that case. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, um, when you're doing keto, you just have to keep in mind that the weight gain will probably show up slower, right? If you're actually eating carbs, you add 50 grams of carbs just from the water weight, that's going to show pretty quickly. Whereas with adding grams of fat, you're really only going to see actual weight gain for the most part. So, all right. So Nevzi 80, I noticed that you do a ton of vertical pulling. Do you do any horizontal pulling? I asked because I'm dealing with a shoulder issue badly right now. And I was told that it's from bench and vertical pulls. So I guess first I would just say that I definitely do a lot of horizontal rowing. Um, I would say it's probably about half and half. So I guess probably because people see me do pull-ups, which is what I post the most of, you know, my rows are kind of boring. I mean, I guess I do heavy dumbbell rows, but even that, I mean, you know, I do hundred pounds for higher reps and at the end of the workout. So it's not anything really impressive. Whereas my pull-ups are reasonably strong, <laughs> excuse me, reasonably strong, which is why I, I post that. So, um, I, I would just say, just to note that I, I do probably do 50, 50, maybe two thirds vertical. I think Abel, you're more of a fan of vertical, right? Because of the range of motion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually like I might be reversing my stance on that a little bit, uh, at, at this moment, because I, I do see some of the things that I missed out on potentially, uh, by having biased my, my training so much towards vertical pulls, but, um, Such as. so if, if I'm looking at people like Mike Isratel, Steve Hall as well, um, a lot of these guys who, if, if anything, I, I tend to see more horizontal pulls from them, but, but yeah, probably half and half like yourself. And I do see, for example, that that like the erectors are really well developed in their cases often, uh, which is, you know, squats, deadlift variations, but also some of those bent rows that they are doing. And um, it definitely, so there's definitely a lot of, you know, rear delts and also mid trap, like um, rhomboid, like like those muscles that you are probably hitting better with horizontal pulls. And they contribute a lot to your back aesthetics as well. And, you know, my thing so far was that you, those things still get hit with vertical pulls, but then they give a much better range of motion for the lats. Um, so I don't know. I, I might have missed out on something by having biased things so much towards vertical pulls. Uh, but I'm curious, like, do you, have you always done that? Like that kind of um, proportion of vertical to horizontal pulls or that's a more recent thing for you? No, it's kind of always been that way. Just whenever I program, if, if I mean, not identical, but like I've done pull-up specialization phases where obviously it's a lot higher for vertical, but any normal programming for me, yeah, I would say it's about 50-50. Same thing with pressing to pulling volume. Um, you know, and he even mentioned shoulder issues. He said he was told it was from his bench and vertical pulls. So I don't know who, who said that, um, but I would try to follow up with a physical therapist because we can give you kind of generic suggestions, you know, try to bounce out the pulling, do face pulls, you know, there's some banded stretches and things you can do, but um, shoulder issues, just, you know, spoken kind of generically is very, I mean, obviously we can't diagnose that here. So I would try to follow up with somebody in person who can actually give you a proper assessment, but you know, something that is often talked about 
is making sure that you're doing as much pulling, if not more than pressing, because, you know, a lot of people, especially people who are new to lifting focus on benching, maybe shoulder pressing, but definitely a lot of emphasis on benching and you, you can get some imbalances there. Mm. Yeah. Out of curiosity, by the way, what, what are traditionally, what are your go-to horizontal pulls? So, I mean, growing up lifting, I, I definitely did a lot of the just traditional barbell rowing. I mm -hmm. really don't love those because I just feel like there's so much effort going into just stabilizing and holding up. You know, I mean, some of my friends, like we would go pretty heavy. So, you know, you're doing 300 pound barbell rows when you can only deadlift, like, you know, a little over 400. And I think, uh, I think Jeffrey Verity Schofield was talking about that recently, but, mm -hmm. um, and it's just a lot of momentum. I just, don't get me wrong. Like it works. It's one of those things where there's a difference between, is it going to work or not versus how do you feel about it? Um, I, I like the machine rows more now and one arm dumbbell rows have been a staple since I was like pretty young, not so much like crock rows where he's just like completely just yanking it. Um, but I do think there is something to be said for that really heavy stretch that you can get with a one arm dumbbell row. Uh, and yeah, and you can do it pretty much anywhere, which is one of the things I like about it too. So I work out at home twice a week and just being able to load up. I mean, I have adjustable dumbbells here, so I can load up if I want to like 150 pounds and mm. uh, it's pretty useful. One, one thing I want to, uh, I'm experimenting with now and I, I sent it to you guys with Brian, uh, Brian Borstein, is these Arnold style cable rows. Because okay. I mean, they're a bit awkward, but they actually, they are actually like a very complete movement in terms of what they stimulate. So, cause you lean forward. So actually, actually it's pretty good for the lats because like you can actually like do quite a bit of shoulder extension. Mm -hmm. And then also like, because of that little bit of spinal movement, it's also spinal erectors are pretty well hit with that. Uh, and then obviously like all the, you know, like muscles that you would normally hit with a horizontal pull. So I'm experimenting with that. I just don't know how, how safe it is long-term, but yep. yeah. So SDK. Hi, Dave. I'm very confused. Hoping for clarity. 6'1", 240 pounds, 30% body fat. If looking to lose body fat on a calorie deficit and using one gram of protein to one gram of weight, do I use current body weight and adjust or a target body weight of say 200 pounds? Insight would be helpful. So I'll kind of tangent off of this a little bit because it's funny. A lot of bodybuilders, everything's to the extreme, right? I've talked before about how ridiculous. I've heard some bodybuilders say you should be drinking two to three gallons of water a day. If you're not getting up to pee every half an hour, you're not drinking enough, like this classic meathead <laughs> nonsense. Um, and something with this, they'll say you need to eat as much as what your goal is. So if you're 200 pounds, if you want to be 300 pound, you need to have 300 grams of protein or whatever you have to eat, whatever the multiplier is, you have to treat it like that's your goal weight, which makes zero sense because if somebody is 200 pounds trying to get to 240 or 200 pounds trying to get to 300, their, their trajectory up to 240 is still going to be similar, right? You need the amount that you need now to gain. So, yeah. you know, what if you're 120 pounds, but you want to be Mr. Olympia, are you going to be eating like 300 plus grams of protein? I mean, it just gets ridiculous. So I say within, you know, a reasonable range, eat for what you're currently at. Okay. So if you do want to follow the one gram per pound of food, now this is the, the opposite way, right? This is for dieting. So I would still say, especially actually even more so, because if you're, if you're gaining, 
it doesn't really harm you to say, hey, I want to eat a little bit more protein. Like, I don't think it's necessary, but it's fine. But if you're 240 pounds and you say you want a goal weight of 200, or what if, what if you have a goal weight of 160? Should you only eat 160 grams of protein? I would say no, eat for where you're at now, right? So if you're following that, eat the 240 grams of protein. Now, you know, I, I know, Abel, you've talked before about um, Eric Helms and some of these other people saying you know, the benefits of more protein, even though we might not have a ton of data on it. I would just say that I would also err on the side of caution with that, that, you know, could you maintain, if you're 30% body fat, do you need 240 grams of protein? Probably not, but I would still personally rather have somebody eating a higher protein diet and just to maintain muscle as much as possible. Uh, if you told me, Hey, I'd rather eat 200 grams of protein. I'd say you're almost certainly going to be fine because you have, you know, that much relative lean body mass, if you're 30% body fat. Uh, but I, I do say just keep it straightforward. And I usually go with one gram per pound. Yeah. So, so I will have a somewhat different answer then because so the way I usually go about it is depending on what the person habitually does, I, I will kind of take that into account, but you know, so the research basically that we have is like what 1.6 grams per kilo. Mm -hmm. So that would be like 0.7 grams per pound. I think, that's where like the benefits like basically stop in in most research like basically i don't i don't actually think there was even one study maybe there were like one or two in the last couple of years but that's out of like i don't know like hundreds so basically that's that's where the safe limit is and then we put like a safety margin on top of that so that's why you hear the 1.8 grams per kilo or 0.82 grams per pound so that's that's i think like a safe minimum to recommend to people and then what I usually do if someone is like clearly very overweight is that I just kind of go with like a common sense lower multiplier often as a minimum. So like feel free to eat that little if you want, you, you can and you can eat more. And then usually I say like plus 50% more protein. So like, like I, I wouldn't want someone to eat like three grams of protein per kilo um, which would be like 1.5 grams, uh, per pound. But, uh, I think if someone is like actually 30% body fat, I think it would be pretty, pretty safe to even recommend something as low as 1.2 grams per kilo. But I wouldn't want to come up with like an exact formula there because, because that would be bullshit. Like we don't have any research on like, what would you recommend on, you know, based on lean body mass, for example, like people who say that kind of thing, it could be right, but like we, we don't have research on that. So that's kind of bull. So like there are studies that's showing between 2.2. I know Eric was part of the one study showing upwards of even three grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, but, and I think that was just that one study, but then I'm pretty sure there's some showing up to about one gram per pound of body weight or 2.2 per kilogram. So, so I, I would love to check that out if that that's actually a case, because I, because there, for example, Eric's study, which he did for his, uh, not PhD, that's, that was for his master's, I think. So that that's a good example of a study, which actually didn't find benefits over like, yeah, points, point 0.7 grams per pound. But then in the conclusion, that was still the recommendation that, okay, like up to like a gram, gram and a half, because whatever, some reasoning, and some of it might be legit in the context of that study, because the 
So there was no benefits, but people felt more satiated, for example, or felt mm -hmm. better who were eating the higher protein amount. Yeah, we'll have to follow up and maybe we can put in the comment section because I'm almost certain that the whole thing was that they found increased retention of lean body mass when dieting with up to close to 1.5 grams per pound of protein. But yeah, yeah, let's let's try to find that and let's just yeah. put it in the show this or in the comments like, hey, so we we checked it and, and this is because because it could be if, if it's the case, I, I wasn't aware. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, so Wyatt said, oh, this is an interesting. One. Uh, hey, Dave, I'm a young lifter. So this may be a strange question. But lately, I've been watching Leo with longevity. Frankly, I'm a bit overwhelmed by the measures he takes to live longer, such as not even lifting though he wants to not eating protein and even not eating things like beets because of the natural nitrates. I want to know, is it really worthwhile to go to these measures? How much extra lifespan would this even guarantee? I'm only 16 and I'm lean with a heart rate of 48 beats per minute. So I know I don't need to worry about dying yet, but I have OCD on things like this and it's been on my mind lately. All right. Yeah. Let so me go into it. <laughs> All right. Um, so we can talk on a lot here. So for one, how much extra lifespan would this even guarantee? Nothing, right? I mean, there, there's no guarantees. And I know you're only 16, but hey, bud, I mean, you could die in a car accident tomorrow, not to be dreary, but uh, people die all the time of very random and unfortunate things. So obviously we have no guarantees in life. So juice to the gills and see how big you can get. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, it, so it's, it's tough, you know, I, I think that's probably an age that you start thinking about, I don't know about you, Abel, but I, I definitely start was thinking about like mortality and, and death, you know, probably early high school years and just kind of realization. I think it also depends on your life experiences, right? If you have family members die and stuff like that, but as far as the lifestyle, so I was thinking about this question and if you could break it up into three triplets, right. And we try to keep everything as constant as possible. I would say, so triplet one, living, let's say a standard American lifestyle, they're not really exercising, they're just kind of eating what they want, et cetera. And I guess you could even break it up into, let's just say four, so got quadruplets here. So the first one is just like total crap, right? So if you got that one, let's just call it ABCD. So B, they're just like your normal person, right? You're, you're not really focused on health. You're just kind of living life. You're not really exercising. A is person who's just like a slob, right? So they're smoking, they're drinking, they're eating junk all the time. And then C is somebody who is like a lot of us. So they're working out three, four times a week. They're doing cardiovascular exercise a couple of days a week. They're getting a decent step count. You're eating, I mean, let's just cover these. So you're eating a relatively let's say whole foods diet, not many, a lot of processed foods, reasonable, sufficient protein, some healthy fats, right? I mean, not like overly obsessed with it, but healthy fats, uh, high amount of vegetables, fruits, et cetera, trying to sleep moderate amount. I mean, you know, seven, eight hours a night, if you can get more great, uh, minimizing stress, things like that. And then D is the same as C, but taking every health supplement that you can find any research on, right? Not lifting at all because you're worried about mTOR or things like that. Not having even above 50 plus grams of protein, because again, you're worried about mTOR signaling, uh, you know, taking some of maybe these 
not experimental, but some of the supplements that have minimal evidence, uh, not eating, you know, foods that have too much vitamin A and E because some research shows that, you know, supplementation of vitamin A and E has problems, you know, increased cancer rates and things like that go into that extreme. So if I were to break all those down, you know, average lifespan for a male is 80 right now that's average across the board. So let's just say that person, uh, number, you know, sorry, letter B that kind of like standard American person is going to be 80. This is so much speculation in terms of lifespan, because as we already said, you know, people die unexpectedly of things all the time. Right. And so there's no way to really predict all of this, but if we're just kind of really, really, I want to keep that emphasized, really speaking generally, I think it's very reasonable to say that person a is taking quite a bit off their life. Right. And, and you could even relate this to people who use gear. Right. So we have the examples of people who smoke and live to be 100 years old. We have the examples of people who abused gear and somehow live still to be very old. However, you know, I, I see on bodybuilding forums all the time. Oh, well, you know, you're going to take 10 years off your life with gear. But the thing is, maybe on average, you're going to take 10 years off your life. But you're also going to have somebody, a lot of people who have a heart attack at 40 and shorten their life by 45 years because of gear, right? That's going to happen. You're going to have somebody who never would have gotten lung cancer, but they smoked. And so they died again, 40 years earlier. So I know a lot of times people, especially younger guys who try to weigh this whole thing on gear, like, should I, you know, maybe wait, it's worth it for me. I don't, I don't want to live to be 90 anyway. If I can live to be 82, but all that time I'm, I'm jacked, that's worth it for me. I'm not saying that that logic can apply. I'm saying you don't know what's going to happen. And I, I have spoken with people who have ended up dying in their 30s or 40s. I knew a guy in Baltimore who died um, after abusing oral steroids and he had a lot of liver complications and he died at like just after getting married, unfortunately, like 32. You know, another guy who had a heart attack at 40 and has just kind of gradually degraded since then. So these like one-off things can happen. Uh, and then you're just trying to put everything in your favor. So I think most people would agree, person A just living like a slob, Obviously, you, you probably on average take 5, 10, 15 years off of your life. Going from person A to B, sorry, um, B to C, basically being like what a lot of us are, is almost certainly going to extend your lifespan, assuming, again, none of these weird one-off things, right? This is what is preached by most people. And this is where I think most people should focus their, their efforts. Um, and I, I certainly understand the OCD with health. I certainly am obsessive about health uh, just because of my experiences and things I've seen. And so I am very particular, but you are, most people are going to have a, a much increased lifespan and just um, quality of life by doing a lot of these things. That last category, personally, I believe is highly speculative. And if we assume that, again, you're going to live to be, let's just say 85 living the way maybe myself or Abel is living. And you told me, Hey, you're going to then do all of these extra little things. I would not be surprised to find that if this scenario was somehow played out that you lived 0.0 years longer, I would not be surprised to find that. I would also not be surprised to find that you lived three, four, maybe five years longer 
you know, depending on the person, depending on, on how things affected them, maybe one of these supplements really helped this one issue that this person had. And because of that, it, you know, and it also depends on, you know, how, how minor are we getting with the details? You know, I mean, I understand what this guy in his question is saying, because I've seen some of Leo's videos where it's just like, I think very speculative, or he'll say that there's a lot of evidence on this. And it's like, I think there's some evidence on this, but not a lot of long-term evidence for it. Um, you know, I think something maybe in the middle there could be like a vitamin D supplement. I think most people should supplement that. There's some good evidence on fish oil, but there's also plenty of evidence against fish oil. Uh, I, I know he will often quote the Vesepa trials and, and it's great. And, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile to take, but again, there's plenty of evidence to say that if, if you're eating even just regular fatty fish a few times a week, that's probably going to be fine for most people. I, I know I'm really getting into like the, the weeds here, but, um, I think it's important to address because I, I think people can get very obsessive and the reality is we have a lot, lot, lot of studies on, uh, you know, in vitro, uh, information in vitro data. We have some short-term studies. We have, uh, studies on mice. We have mechanistic data, but a lot of that is with surrogate markers. We almost none of these speculative supplements have randomized controlled trials over many years in humans to show significant, or even, even in like, um, even in like monkeys or anything like that. So I would, especially at 16, I would not be worrying about it. I would, if not avoid eating beets <laughs> because of the nitrates, I would not be avoiding eating apples because of the higher fructose content. Um, I would not worry about, you know, a little bit too much time at the beach because of the sun. I would just say, use a, you know, sunscreen. There are some of these things that I just don't think is really worthwhile for the average person to worry about. Uh, in the same way that, you know, Warren Buffett would say that 99.9% .9 of people should probably just invest in the S&P 500, you know, and, and just not worry about trying to beat the stock market and all these things. Not to mention many, many studies show that it's almost impossible to do so. But that aside, um, you know, just kind of like for most people, just keep putting it in and do the right things that we've talked about, those global things. And I, I probably wouldn't worry so much about all those little details, despite being somebody who is very obsessed with that stuff themselves and will maybe try some things here and there. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously not, not, not much thing to add from the practical side of things. So I, I was just thinking about um, the philosophical aspects of all of this. And I think, I think lifting is actually a pretty good analogy for this because, you know, so the three examples you said, like one person is just standard American diet, like everything is super reckless, shitty, unhealthy lifestyle. The other person is like reasonably healthy like us. And then the third person is really trying to optimize everything. So I guess that would be almost like someone who like doesn't work out at all, or maybe works out, but has no idea what they are doing. Um, second one might be someone who is like, like us, they are training pretty hard and they are trying to select good exercises and whatever. But, you know, we are not the kind of people who like never, ever miss a training session, at least at this point, um, only doing like the most optimized exercises. Like we're not even using a gym, which doesn't have the whatever prime fitness, whatever equipment. And then the third person would be someone who is doing all of that. So like, can I guarantee you that you're going to be like, you know, a lot more jacked if you're doing all of that? Like, no, because like you might just have really shitty genetics and it, then it just doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, at the same time, though, 
uh, I wouldn't shit on someone who is doing that because I think at a certain point, it's not actually like, I know some of these health nuts. And actually I, I used to be one of those when I was 20 and it wasn't actually about being afraid of dying young or something. I, it was a hobby. Like I just enjoyed tinkering with all of these things and always finding out about another thing that I could avoid or buy or something that could give me an, an, an extra little bit of edge. And I think that's how a lot of people are with these things. I think Leo is probably someone who, who enjoys tinkering with all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's also, so the thing is like, people always talk about longevity, but the thing is that, you know, my biggest fear is not that I would just die sooner. You know, if I had the potential to live up to, let's say 90, and I would die at 70 instead, but I would just, you know, drop dead, just, you know, would not wake up one day and I would just go away peacefully, but I would live a kick-ass life up until that point. Like, I would be fine with that. Like, I think a lot bigger fear for me, and I think for most people, is seeing how a lot of older people live, for example. Like, I see, you know, the... I don't know, the grandparents of my wife, like my uh, grandmother when she was still alive, like their last, you know, 10 years is basically always go going to the hospital with some mm -hmm. bullshit random complication. You don't even understand, like, where did this come from? Like this time, like my, my wife's father, so my father-in-law, like he tore his freaking bicep while like gardening like and like not even doing some like heavy duty stuff like he was like brushing up leaves or something and his bicep just tore and i guess it's because of just you know inactivity never using those yeah. muscles so you know and and so people have like you know these older people who just like cannot even like stand upright like sometimes you're like wondering like how can you bend over so much and walk you know so like that's how i wouldn't want to live and so i think living a healthy lifestyle is actually just basically maintaining a pretty high level of functionality and health and just living lighter until you die. So it's not, you know, did you see that um, video that's circulating around, which, you know, this man who is supposedly 160 years old, which no. I'm highly doubting, but yeah, yeah there is this, uh, whatever Buddhist monk or somebody, he says that he's 160 years old and he's maintaining that with some special diet, which I'm guessing would be not eating at all, basically. <laughs> um, the guy actually looks like he's 160. Probably he isn't, but I would believe it just based on how he looks like. Man, like I wouldn't want to live until that age, even if I could. Like, man, like basically it's the only thing separating this person from, I don't know, like some kind of dead or orga organic material is that he is breeding. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's not just about living long. It's having a high functionality as well. So anyway, just some philosophical. So, yeah. So the number of people who reach 110 is, uh, and I don't remember the exact percentage, but it, it's basically like, oh, it's like an order of magnitude less basically every 10 years. So the number of people who reach 110 yeah. is so far less than the number of people who reach 100. And then the people who reach 120 is, is dramatically fewer than the people who reach 110. So I would bet just about anything I have that the guy is not even close to 160. No, no, um, definitely not. <laughs> so this is totally unrelated to fitness, but just a question for you. How long would you want to live if you could maintain your current, you know, your 30-year-old body and, and mind? Ooh, that's a good, that's a good question. In that case, I would... 
I, I well, in that case, I would be up to living pretty damn long, actually. Because yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, because I, I would restart a lot of things which I fucked up when I was younger, and like mm-hmm. it would be nice to think that like, oh, like I have so much time left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people always say, oh, I wouldn't want to live this long. I was like, well, yeah. If you're constantly degrading, then sure, I wouldn't want to live yeah. past like a hundred. But I'm surprised sometimes. I guess it's just different personalities and ways of thinking about it. But if you said like you're just going to maintain how you are now, I don't know, ten thousand, like you know, a, a very long time. I mean, the, the yeah. only as long as there was like a self-destruct button where, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if there's some yeah. like world war, like six, and then you're just stuck in like a, you know, futuristic concentration camp for like a thousand yeah. years. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but other than that, obviously I've thought about this question before. So, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to give this person's name because he didn't ask this for the live Q and a, but I think it's an interesting question. So uh, he was basically saying that, you know, he looks like this. His brother is significantly more physically impressive, but got started at a younger age and he didn't get started until I forget the exact age, but it's significantly older. And he said, you know, if I took testosterone for a few cycles, do you think that I could then gain five or 10 pounds of muscle that I maybe otherwise would have gained if I started really young and then just maintain that? Um, you know, what do you think? And does that make sense? So, so yeah, but uh, how, how old is he? So was there something that I, I missed think he, I'm forgetting. I think he's around 40. Okay. Um, and his brother who is two years younger is significantly more muscular, but started lifting a lot earlier. And mm-hmm. so he was saying if he were to take testosterone, could he gain five, 10 pounds of muscle with a few cycles and then just maintain that even off the testosterone? Because it's mm-hmm. muscle that I guess in theory, he would have had if he started younger. Right. Right. So um, I told him that, and it, also because he was comparing to his brother, he said, well, look at how much more muscular my brother is. Mm-hmm. So I would say, uh, one, unless you maintain at least TRT, if not a light, you know, slightly above, you're going to lose that muscle. Uh, there are countless examples of people who blasted for many years and now are what I believe is truly TRT, um, like somebody like John Meadows, who even on, he, he went from, you know, his normal lifestyle to 200 milligrams of testosterone and still maintained a extremely uh, impressive physique, well, well over what any natural could achieve. And then even when he went to hundred milligrams per week, he still maintained an extremely muscular physique. So I think we have a plethora of examples of people who after, you know, a decade plus of using a lot of gear uh, are able to maintain a lot of muscle. However, there are also countless examples of people who do a cycle, two cycles, three cycles, et cetera, who then come off and lose everything. And I mean, that, again, there's no shortage of those examples. You're going to have a huge crash. Your body is probably just going to try to maintain homeostasis, get back to where you were. So to, yeah, could you gain five to 10 pounds of muscle on testosterone? Sure. But I think you'll just lose it. Uh, the second thing I said is that you really can't just compare to your brother because, uh, and, and like, obviously they're going to be more genetically similar to you than most people, but you could still be dramatically different, right? I mean, I've seen siblings who are six inches apart in height. Uh, my brother and I have a lot of similarities, but I mean, if you look at us when we were both 12 years old, I was fat and slow and he was lean and athletic right and and you can't just say well he was this way so i would be that way as well yeah um so 
but wouldn't it change things though that because he's asking like could he take gear now and just basically catch up to what his potential would have been basically and then he could maintain that because like that was always in the cards for him he just needs a a fast track to get there but he doesn't want to go past that necessarily so that then it, it would work right I don't think so because he's speculating that he would have that potential because he started younger or because his brother is there. And so I've, I've said, I think the brother example doesn't apply at all. I think the example of, oh, if I started earlier, maybe, but, and obviously this is speculation, but I think there are probably other things that change when you start so young, if you started like, like 10 years old or even 20 compared to, you know, I think if he started at like, let's say 30, like, I don't know if you'll ever be able to totally catch up to that. Um, and also as an example, I know plenty of people who have taken gear for short periods of time and they've regressed well back to below what they really could be with, you know, 10 to 15 years of, of solid training. So, um, that's, that, that, yeah, that, that's super interesting. So, but what, what do you think would be the So like, let's say that example of yours, so you were 170, you went up to 185 and like, so at the same body fat, now you're, you're bigger at, or so you're bigger than 185 at the same body fat now than you were at the time, right? Correct. So like, how long do you think you would have to stay on at least like TRT or something to make those a bit like more permanent? And then you could come off of that and then you could actually just maintain that as your netty max or whatever because clearly you have the potential for that so yeah yeah i mean so i don't know if if you were to come off completely i don't know if you could ever maintain above a natural max i i don't know if we've really ever seen it because there are almost no examples of people who have been on let's say for like 10 years got well above and then came completely off right we have uh, many examples of people who then went to trt and they maintained above natural levels. But you're asking how long just to maintain what your peak natural level would have been? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm completely speculating. So it's an interesting question. So basically, if you were to do a cycle, so if your max potential is 190 at whatever body fat, and you're 160, and you used gear to get up to 190, how long would you then have to stay on TRT to be able to come off everything and maintain the pro- 190 the the problem is that 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 actually so yeah, that, that actually cannot happen because like the thing is i mean if you could just come off trt and not go through that dip right which will always so like so i guess the answer is you would have to go over 185 let's say if that's your max or 190 mm-hmm. go over that and just hope that when you come off you will only dip down to 190 or 185 or whatever right. And of course, you'd never know because obviously you wouldn't actually know what your natural would have been, right? Like we don't have anything saying, well, this person, we know it's 190. So you're just totally speculating. Um, But I just, I don't see that. I I see so many guys who have used gear and then go on TRT and they're so beyond where they would have been. But I'm trying to think, and, and again, we never know what people are actually on, but I'm trying to think of anybody who was like, hey, I used to use gear and now I'm completely natural and like where they are i don't can can you think of examples of that like i think vigorous steve looked pretty good still uh and he wasn't even training and he 
came off gear and uh, he showed his pictures like oh look how much i suck like i yeah, shrank so much off? it wasn't that long yeah he wasn't that and i think he may still have been on growth hormone or something though so, yeah i'm pretty okay. sure he was yeah. doing stuff but that yeah i'm, I'm talking like it could take years you know i mean mm. you, you're not going to go and gain 30 pounds of muscle and lose that like immediately uh, yeah. you, you know but over time I just, I don't know if I can think of many examples. And again, in part, because we just don't have many examples, you know, it's very rare to find somebody who was on gear for years and then just like goes completely natural. Um, mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can think of examples of that, but basically as a general summary, I would say, yeah, if you go on TRT and maintain those levels, then I, you know, I can, I think you can maintain well above that. And I know a lot of people who think that they'll, they'll think, Hey, my plan is to go on gear for a few years and then maintain TRT. Um, I guess you could do it. I, you know, in general, I obviously don't recommend people going on gear and I wouldn't use that as an example, but I do think that's probably one of the big temptations of being on TRT because like, if you're like, Hey, I just want to do a cycle. Well, it's like, Oh, it's kind of a waste of your time. I can pretty much guarantee if you do one cycle, it's not going to net you anything. But if you're on TRT, it's probably very tempting to say, Hey, twice a year, I'm going to bump up the dose from 150 to 600 milligrams. I'll do that twice a year for 10, 12 weeks. Well, you do that for five, six years. I mean, depending on your response, you could easily have 10, 15 pounds more muscle than you otherwise would. And, yeah. and to be fair, would that really be that detrimental to your health? I mean, I try to stay objective with this, with this uh, type of stuff. And you know, I think it would be more negative for your health than not doing it. But yeah. do I think it would be totally detrimental? Probably not, you know, at that level, probably not, you know, it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see people who like uh, Mike Isertel when he eventually I know he said he's kind of wants to like max out the bodybuilding realm. And then he'll yeah. kind of like pull back. I don't know if you heard him talk about does he plan on like, just TRT for life or? Um. So I heard him say that once that he will be just on TRT and just do a lot of jujitsu and still lift, but not nearly as, as seriously. Um, in an, another podcast, I heard him say that he will actually turn into like that guy that I said, the 160 year old, mm. quote unquote, that he will just do a lot of cardio and he will go down to like 140 pounds or something. Really? Um, um, so that was earlier than the other thing I heard with the TRT. Okay. So uh, pro probably he, he realized that, okay, like uh, he, that, that's not realistic. I'm not going to do that, but I'm, I'm so curious because um, with Jordan Peters, right. That's the name of J Jordan JP. Peters, yeah. yeah, yeah. He is um, with, with him. Like you can see that. Yeah. He said that he's going to like lose a ton of weight, which mm -hmm. he did. And he's not using like five grams of gear anymore, but I mean, he's still, he's freaking massive and he's still, I mean, he's using like, maybe like 500 total milligrams of stuff. No, so, still, I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to let doing go. Doing that like year round? I think so. Like, I think he's doing like 250 tests, 250 something else, um, mm. like pr Primo or something yeah. like that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you also got to factor in the body weight, right? I mean, if, if he's still, what is he, like 5'5 five, five or something, 220 yeah. plus pounds, I mean, I don't care if you're natural, like that's not going to be healthy. But then you also throw in 500 milligrams of testosterone or 500 milligrams of total anabolics. It's just, you know, that I do think detrimental. So what, in my example, I was just like, and again, I really like, don't take this as advice to do this. I'm just saying if you were like, you know, able size, right. Or my size, if you were like 196, one, 
and you were on TRT and you used like a couple of cycle, moderate cycles per year and got up to like 205, right? Or 200, but a little bit leaner. I don't think that would be detrimental to your health. I still think you'd be less healthy. I mean, you could even argue generally smaller people live longer. So you could even argue that like we talked about that with Steve Hall before, you know, him bulking up to 205, eating 4,000 plus calories a day. He's probably not living the, like the, if you just want like the longevity plan, that's not it right now. I just think that when given he's natural, he's got a good cardiovascular base, he eats healthy. That's kind of what, in my example before, I'm like, I think that's fine. You know what I mean? And, and I think if you later want to then change, is that really going to be like, is the person who spent their twenties and thirties doing that, but then in their forties, they maintain a leaner, uh, lighter self. Are they going to be worse off at 80 than the person who maintained that lighter, leaner self all the way up until 80? I don't think much, you know, I mean, there's even data to show that people who stop smoking 15 years later, their risk factors are actually similar, still higher, but similar, um, sorry, their risk, not risk factors, their risk is similar to non-smokers, like people who never smoked. Um, now there's obviously a lot of caveats there. And I'm not saying you can just undo like 20 years of smoking. That's not what I'm saying, but just to say yeah. that, um, you know, you, you, your body is very forgiving in your twenties and thirties. Yeah. And, and I, I would say just, just to, so what you said about someone being on TRT, doing some mild cycles, I would say that someone who is netty and is, let's say, abusing caffeine and, and stims, stimulants, I, I would say that person is probably worse off. So like now, like I'm experimenting with, well, not experimenting, like I'm using modafinil pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess that that's probably worse, worse for my heart health and whatever than as, as if I was on, on an, anabolics, let's say, on a moderate, in a moderate dose. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're you're definitely more um, well-read on the stimulant literature than I am. So, Mm, yeah, and it's it's not it's not that great to use a lot of (laughs) stimulants, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. No, I I haven't had even caffeine really since when I was like 20. I had used it regularly for cutting, meaning like I would take two to 400 milligrams. Honestly, even that I only did that once. I just I've never been big on anything like that. I've never taken modafinil or um, Adderall or anything like that. But, um, nowadays yeah. I'll have coffee like once in a blue moon. And the thing is when I do take it, it feels great because I'm so, yeah. you know, it's a sort of stimulus at this point, but you're, are you still taking high doses of caffeine regularly? Uh, caffeine, caffeine, I don't do in high doses, uh, because it's just redundant <laughs> with, yeah. with something like modafinil. Uh, honestly, like that, that this is one of those things where I, I could quit it. Like I quit several times before, but I feel like, man, even if I'm harming my health, I think most people around me would agree that I'm probably better off using it because I'm just a nicer person, really? more likable, kinder, <laughs> more forgiving, tolerant um, if I'm using some stimulants. So probably probably it's, it's a good thing still that I'm using it. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So that is it for the questions. Always feel free to send in more through, like I said, Instagram DMs are usually best. Comment section is good too. We, we try to save them, go through them. Uh, anything else on your end, Abel? Um, nope, not, not that much okay. or not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, so I'll have this on my channel, Abel, where can they find more of you? 
Uh, yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, so SSD able on YouTube and on Instagram, it's uh, able to lift. All right, thanks.